Hey friends, welcome to the Highland Church Podcast. We believe that you were made for God's mission. We encourage you to check out our website, highlandcc.org, where you can learn more about what you are called to in Christ Jesus. Let's hear a message today that we hope will challenge, encourage you, and ultimately help you to grow and identify your purpose in the plan of God. A really good friend of mine, when he was younger, his mother passed away suddenly, unexpectedly. He was really young. And so for about 10 years, it was just he and his dad. You know, he and dad against the world. Their bond was inseparable, really close. And then when he's a teenager, in fact, just before he goes to college, one day his dad brings home this woman that he's just met. They date for a few weeks. They get engaged. Within two months, they're married. And my friend, who's, who's just one of the best guys in the world, even as a teenager, just one of the best people in the world, and he resolved, even though this was really abrupt and said to him, that he was going to love her as well as he could. He was going to be really kind to her. He was going to treat her well. But he'll also tell you that they never, never quite clicked, the two of them. It was always a challenge. And, uh, but he was kind of resolved, I'm, I'm going to be as kind to her as possible. Problem is... I think he would tell you this, and probably she would tell you this too. That just wasn't enough for her, just being nice. She never had kids of her own, and she felt like she was in some ways kind of coming to his rescue. She was filling the void that his mother had left all these years before. And of course, she had never had her kids, and so she, she thought he would love her like he did his mom. You know, she expected that he'd just want to, you know, call her on his way home from work just to hear his mom's voice. And that he'd send her cards on Mother's Day and gifts. And that's, that's what she wanted. And I was talking to him the other night. This was just before Christmas because this was kind of all coming to a head at Christmas. They were finally coming to conflict over this 20 years later, finally just boiling over at this conflict of him not giving her what she wants. And he said, I just can't do it. I mean, she's fine. You know, she married my dad, but she's never going to be my mom. And it's not like she's done anything to deserve that from me, that kind of love. She hasn't, all she did was marry dad. She doesn't deserve that. And I thought, that sounds pretty reasonable. And then I went to bed that night and I thought about her side. And I thought, don't we all want what we don't deserve? Don't we all want that? Okay, so I've been thinking about that as I've been in this passage in Mark 3. So we're continuing our series on the good news of Jesus Christ as we find it in Mark's gospel. Okay, the good news of Jesus. And we're in Mark 3, starting in verse 13. And and the reason I'm thinking about that story is if there have ever been a group of people who are more undeserving than the group of guys we're going to read about in this passage, I don't know who those people were. Let's just take a look at what happens with these undeserving guys. Let's look. This is Mark 3, starting in verse 13. Jesus went up on a mountain. So that's significant. A lot of significant things happen on mountains in the Bible. And listen to this. He called those he wanted, and they came to him. And he appointed 12. 12 is a significant number in the Bible. We'll come back to that. And he called them apostles, okay? And he appointed them to what? To be with him, to be sent out to preach, and to have authority to throw out demons. And he appointed 12. Peter, a name he gave Simon, James and John, Zebedee's sons, whom he nicknamed Bonerges, which means sons of thunder, 
Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, Alphaeus' son, Thaddeus, Simon the Cananean, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed Jesus. When I say these guys are undeserving of this, what I mean is that these guys are pretty unremarkable, especially at this point. And it, it is not to say that these, that these guys don't go on to do remarkable things. They certainly do go on to do remarkable things, mission work around the world, martyrdom for Jesus Christ. But at this point, they are absolutely unremarkable. Here's what we have here in this passage. We've got, um, we've got a couple guys who are fishermen. That's what they've done. That's what they've spent their life doing. We've got a social pariah, a tax collector, who probably doesn't have many friends. We've got two brothers. These two brothers are such mama's boys. I love this. They're such mama's boys that their mom goes to Jesus. And she says, when you make it big, Jesus, can my boys be at your right and your left? Right? Okay. Think about your mom doing that. You're a grown man. Okay. Uh, We've got at least one who has anger issues, one with a violent past. We've got one who betrays Jesus, as we read about, another who denies Jesus, These guys are absolutely undeserving of this calling. I mean, think about what Jesus is doing here. Jesus is picking the team that he's gonna use to change the face of the world. And he picks these guys. I mean, I've been trying to think of an analogy for this. What came to mind is if you were gonna build a championship basketball team, what you would do is you would go to all the other NBA teams, you would look at your salary cap and your budget, and you would try to pick the best guys who are available to you to build that team. What Jesus does to build this championship team is he goes to the local YMCA where there's this game of pickup with middle-aged men who are a little thick around the middle. He says, I'll take you. I thought about it a little bit more, actually. I actually don't even think it's like that. Because these guys have given no indication up to this point that they are cut out to be with Jesus, to preach in his name, or to cast out demons. That's like a sport they've never even seen. You know, this would be like Jesus going to some far corner of the world where they've never even seen a basketball and picking those guys for his team. They're completely undeserving of this. So you know what we call it when you get something you don't deserve? Grace. Grace is what we call it. There's a, there's a guy here. Y'all know him really well. I'm not going to share his name. You might be able to figure it out. He told me in the office the other day, he said, uh, you know, for Christmas one year, I got my girlfriend a deep fryer. They put that in the category of things she didn't deserve. <laughs> when they broke up shortly thereafter, not surprising. They had a long conversation. She finally walks out the door of his house. She closes it behind her. A few minutes later, he hears a knock at the door and he thinks to himself, she's she's coming back to me. She can't stay away. He opens the door and she says, can I keep the deep fryer? Right, okay. We've all got gifts that we don't deserve. That's not what I'm talking about here. What I'm talking about here is when you get more than you deserve, when you're given better than you deserve. Her story on the radio the other day, did you know that the average American workday has increased by an hour during the pandemic. The average American workday has increased by an hour during the pandemic. They interviewed a woman on the show. She had gotten a job just before the pandemic started, and she'd seen a lot of her colleagues lose their job over the course of the pandemic and the financial strain on her company. And so she said, I'm working overtime every day to prove I'm worth it. Apparently, a lot of people are doing it. Enough people that the average workday has increased an hour across the board during the pandemic. 
I met, uh, Lindsay and I met this young mom about our age the other day at church. This was shortly before the pandemic began. We're talking to her. And I can tell as we're talking that I've met her before. And I can't figure it out. And she's looking at me and I can tell she's thinking the same thing. And I say, do we know each other? And, and she says, I was thinking that. And we start trying to put the pieces together on, on how we know each other. And finally, we figured out that over 15 years ago, she and I interviewed at the same time for a scholarship at Abilene Christian University. And oh, I just like shuddered when I realized that's how I knew her. Because I remember that day. I was wearing this suit straight out of the 90s, this baggy suit. I remember I was painfully nervous. And during my interview, my stomach was grumbling and growling the whole interview. I can remember apologizing to the woman interviewing me the whole time because my stomach was growling. And I tell this young mom that, and she says, it was worse for me. You know, here we are, these two kids. And we are unremarkable in almost every respect. Trying to prove to this university that we're worth a lot of money. And I remember thinking, just, just sure, they're going to know I don't belong. They're going to be able to see right through me, and they're going to know I'm not worth that. All right, so here you have these 12. Now, 12 is a meaningful number. It reminds you of the 12 tribes of Israel. You've also got this mountain, and you think about all the amazing things that happen on mountaintops in Scripture. You've got a number of covenants made to people like Moses and Abraham that happen at the top of a mountain. So here you have this new mountain with this new 12. God is making a new covenant through Jesus Christ to these 12 in order to change the world, right? You know these guys recognize on the top of this mountain, like Jesus brought us up here on this mountain for a reason. There's 12 of us. That seems on purpose. You know, as they're looking around at the other 11 next to him, you know each of them's thinking, right? I hope these guys, and I hope he doesn't figure out I don't belong. I don't belong here, right? Okay, so here's the point in this sermon where like, we're tempted to offer you this half Christian response. This is like pop Christian 101 counseling that you've probably given to somebody. And we've all been tempted to give to somebody who feels like they don't belong and they're not worthy. What we're tempted to say is, no, you are great just the way you are. You are so amazing. There's nothing about you that needs to change. You are so great. And that sounds really Christian, okay? It sounds Christian. Let me tell you another story that I actually think is closer to the Christian truth. I met with a young man here not long ago. We were talking about his life, and he called me because his life was kind of falling apart. And what he said was, anytime something good happens to me, I push it away. You know, anytime something good begins to happen in my life, I hit this self-destruct button, and I, I blow it all up. I started asking him why, like, why are you doing that? And we, you know, we're talking about his past and his history and we're just boiling down lower and lower. And finally he says, I'll never forget this. He finally says, I don't deserve anything good. I don't deserve a single good thing in my life. Okay, so on one hand, there is this destructive possibility in that reality or in that recognition that I want to push against. But on the other hand, in some respects, he is closer to tasting the sweetness of God's grace 
than he has ever been in his life and than many of us are right now. I, here's what I mean. Let me try to make sense of that. When Lindsay and I had COVID-19, we lost our, t- our senses of taste and smell. And uh, fortunately for us, the other symptoms were not terrible, um, although many others have had it much worse, but we did lose our sense of taste and smell additionally. And I'll tell you that the, that's a real bummer when you're sick to not be able to taste a Coke or chocolate. You know, and what happened, we noticed, was that there was no difference between the taste of tap water and the taste of Coke. Okay, think about that. And you know how different those two things are. And I think, I mean, I think that's what this story helps us to see is what we often struggle with is this muted sense of taste where we think of ourselves higher than we ought to and we think of Jesus as less than he is and we recognize there's not much difference between the two. They taste pretty much the same. And so when we experience the gracious calling, the gracious desire of Jesus in our life, it doesn't taste that great to us. You know, and we wonder why we don't desire Jesus more. It's because he doesn't taste that good because our sense of taste is muted. We think better of ourselves than we actually are. And so here, if you look at this passage side by side, you have Jesus, matchless, perfect, flawless, all powerful next to these 12 bozos. And you got to realize we are more like the 12 than we are like him. <laughs> you know, these are the people we are like, not him. And these are the people he calls. I mean, you've got to recognize who you are before you realize, like we just seen, that his grace is amazing. Because it's him calling me. And none of us are worth that. None of us deserves that. And so here's the thing. It's not that Jesus tolerates us. It's not that he's gracious to us because he has to. Look again at what it says. It says he called those that what? He wanted. He wants to do this. You know, I'm so tempted to project onto Jesus my own stuff. You know, every Friday I take my boys to get donuts before school. I'm sure his teachers really appreciate that. And, um, you know, I go to sleep on Thursday night. One of his teachers is here in the room. We go, I go to sleep on Thursday night, and I'm just thinking, I'm the best dad in the world. I'm going to take these boys to get donuts. They're going to sing my praises all the way to school. It's going to be a beautiful morning. And we wake up, and I can't get them to get their socks on. I tell them like 10 times to go get your socks on. You'd think I like asked them to solve a Rubik's Cube. Just pull on your socks. Why can't put, kids put socks on, right? You're just asking them all morning long to get ready. And finally, we get in the car, and we're running late. And I'm thinking, oh, I got to go and get these donuts now because I promised it. You know, like project onto Jesus my own stuff. He doesn't want to be gracious to me. He doesn't want to do that. You know what we're told? This is in Hebrews 12. Listen to this. He, Jesus, endured the cross, ignoring the shame for the sake of the joy that was laid out in front of him. The joy. And he sat down at the right hand at God's throne. Okay. Don't think what this means is Jesus went through the cross. It was really tough. But the whole time he was thinking that he has a comfortable chair in heaven with a great view. And so if he can just get through this, he's got a great chair coming. That's not what the idea of Jesus at God's right hand means. We talked about this a few months ago, but what it means that Jesus is at God's right hand is that he's interceding for us. 
He becomes our champion. He's calling us before the holy and mighty God. He's saying, that one, that one belongs to me. I want you to do good for that one. I want you to choose that one. I want you to call and give your grace to that one. That's what Jesus is doing for all eternity. And that's what gives him joy. You know, Jesus endured the cross because it gives him joy to be gracious. And he has moved into position through the cross to be gracious to you and I forever. Jesus up here calling us down here who don't deserve it makes Jesus plumb happy. But think about that. We read here, and this is chapter 3, verse 14, that he appointed them to be with him. That's grace. And that's how we often think of grace. I'm called, though I don't deserve it, to be with Jesus. But then look, look what else there is. Okay? He calls them to be with him, but he also okay, appoints them to be sent out to preach by the same grace and to have authority to throw out demons by the same grace. Now think about that for a second. What qualified these guys to do that kind of work? Remember, they've never even, they've never even seen this game played. What qualifies them to do that world-changing work? Grace. Grace qualifies them for that. I mean... <laughs> It's the same for you and me, you know? I was talking to our staff the other day. And we got this staff, they've got degrees out the wazoo. They've got years and years of experience. That's the thing about Highland. Everybody stays here forever. That's why Alan Hewitt started three to five years and he was here 15 years later. We've got all kinds of experience on our staff. You know what we all feel as a staff? And I shared this last week. There are so many times we walk into situations and we think, I am not qualified for this. You know what I told him? You're right. But you are qualified by the grace of Jesus Christ. And that's you. I mean, let me talk to our teenagers for a second. I cannot imagine being a teenager right now. I mean, can you imagine parents, adults being a teenager right now? I mean, we all say it was hard when I was a teenager too. We faced the same problems, challenges, temptations you face. I don't know. It's pretty hard right now. And there is endless pressure to prove that you belong, to prove that you measure up, to prove that you are worth liking or loving or being chosen as a teenager these days. And what I want you to hear, teenagers, right? This is the hard first truth, is that you're not deserving of that. But you are wanted. You are wanted. And there's nothing you have to do to prove you deserve that. Jesus just wants you. I mean, if you could give yourself to that. I mean, the whole church, beyond our teens, I mean, if you could give yourself to the gracious truth of Jesus Christ. Well, Jesus tells us you will do greater things than these that you've seen. You'll do greater than these. I got a call the other day from a fellow at this church, a good friend. He's had a remarkable life, a college athlete, semi 
pro athlete, eventually mission work on the other side of the world, big, big time jobs, you know, uh, hobnob with rulers of countries and stuff, kind of a big deal, but also had kind of gone through a season recently where he just needed to work a, a blue collar job to help pay the bills for his family. But he was seeing as he was just submitting to that job, these chances to witness for Jesus Christ in the workplace. And he calls me, I mean, he's somebody who's been up here and he's kind of down here at the moment, but he just called me one day and he's laughing and he says, Eric, isn't it so amazing that God would use us? I mean, Eric, it's funny. It's comical that he would use somebody like me. He said, Eric, isn't it a delight that God finds us usable? Amen. That is an amazing grace.